Welcome to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast, where we talk with some of the greatest names from the stadium and stage about the music and sports that shaped their lives. I'm John Adams. In my years of working in the music and sports arenas, I've experienced firsthand the surprising connections between these two industries. Together, through this podcast, we will explore this crossover relationship. All of our podcasts have an accompanying Spotify playlist that showcases the music we discuss with each of our guests. Search for The Score on Spotify. Today, I'm thrilled to speak with a broadcast legend. He's a 28-time Emmy Award winner and Hall of Fame award-winning broadcaster. Regarded as one of the best interviewers in broadcasting, he has spoken with the biggest names in all of sports. He served as NBC's primetime host for 11 Olympic Games from 1992 to 2016. He's been voted Sportscaster of the Year by the National Sports Writers and Sportscasters Association a record eight times. Among his many awards, he's also received the Walter Cronkite Award for Excellence in Journalism from my alma mater, Arizona State University, in October of 2012. He has been the voice and personality of countless sporting events over a generation of games and has become part of the rich tapestry of sports in the United States. We will speak with Bob Costas right after this. Hi, this is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right now, the coronavirus is affecting all of us, but for communities of color, the impact is especially devastating. Sadly, this pandemic amplifies the real-life consequences of existing economic and social inequalities. That's why the NBA is partnering with the National Urban League to help inform, represent, and empower communities of color. This is a time for all of us to help all of us. And the more we understand the issues, the more we will be able to solve them. Now, more than ever, we need to be in this together. Be safe, be informed, and get engaged. Welcome back to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast. I'm honored to introduce today's guest. It's sports broadcasting icon Bob Costas. Bob, thank you so much for being with us today. John, thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Now, you've been able to broadcast just about every sports event under the sun, under the dome. But as a baseball fan, you must love waking up every day to live and breathe baseball for the MLB network. Well, yeah, although this season is uh, profoundly atypical since there's only archival stuff to show and speculative stuff to talk about. When will baseball be back? If it will be back at all this year? If so, under what conditions? So it's, it's not the baseball that I've known throughout my professional life, or even for that matter before that, uh, as a kid and a young man just following the game. There isn't as much to follow as there used to be, at least for the time being. It's also a, a time that nobody else has seen. So the only thing that can come close to this as far as missing games and missing the players and the action on the field would be all the way back to World War II. Yeah, and even so, they played through World War II. A lot of guys who were 4F and not uh, eligible for the military or they were older or whatever the situation might have been, a lot of guys who otherwise would have been in the minor leagues played in the major leagues, but they played. They played full seasons. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt encouraged the baseball commissioner, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, not to even consider closing baseball down. He said the country needed it. Um, but the war was not on American soil. Uh, this virus is. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not saying it's as significant or ultimately as 
devastating as the effects of a world war, but um, it is something we can't get our arms around just yet. So it's unlike half tragedies and crises in the country. After 9-11, the entire country was badly shaken, and it changed the way we went about our business and our lives in ways that we still feel and had ripple effects. But it was only a couple of weeks before baseball came back and football came back, and they played a small part, baseball especially, in helping the nation get back on its feet because it was uplifting in many ways. Um, here, sports, like almost every other element of society, just sits and waits. And after 9-11, we used sports and we used music concerts to help heal America and to get back into that sense of normalcy. And I imagine that we're going to do the same thing with baseball and football and all the sports once they come back. Once they come back, and your guess is as good as mine as to when that will be, it has to be under the right conditions, conditions that are responsible and safe in every way. Mm -hmm. One thing that is a plus, just a decade or so ago, we didn't have the kind of technology that allows us to Zoom. Uh, you couldn't FaceTime with your kids and your friends, and we wouldn't have been able to do what so much of television entertainment has been able to do, which is hook up virtually. Mm -hmm. Late night shows continue. Saturday Night Live continues. The news broadcasts continue. CNN is on 24-7. Uh, the All Sports Network put on some uh, new programming. It's all conversational stuff, but it looks okay. Uh, they've been able to put it together. ESPN did the NFL draft in that fashion. So if this, if this had happened 10, 15 years ago, uh, it would have been a much more difficult set of circumstances for the entertainment world, the sports world, the broadcasting world to cope with. At least now there's a technology uh, that allows them to kind of shift and make the most of the situation. Mm -hmm. Going into some baseball and pop culture, it seems that baseball and pop culture have been so closely intertwined throughout history. Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, baseball has the longest history of any sport that Americans follow uh, avidly. We're not counting the Kentucky Derby. That's a, a once-a-year event. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the 1870s. But for team sports, baseball has the longest continuous history, and it's often been referenced in pop culture. There are more movies with baseball themes than I would guess the other sports combined. Uh, there are references, even if they're not specifically baseball films, there are references to baseball. Uh, there's a Philip Marlowe film, uh, Farewell, My Lovely, in which throughout the film noir uh, movie, they mark time by Philip Marlowe, uh, who in this case was played by Robert Mitchum, he keeps going to a newsstand, a quaint sort of idea that most Americans can't relate to anymore, although you still find them around New York and a few other places. He goes to his newsstand, picks up the newspaper each morning to see if DiMaggio has gotten a hit the previous night or the previous day. He's at 32, he's at 39, he's at 46, whatever it might be. And that's the way the time is marked as he tries to crack the case. Uh, there were songs about Joe DiMaggio even before Paul Simon uh, referenced him in Mrs. Robinson. There was a song uh, by the Les Brown band, Joe, Joe DiMaggio, We Want You on Our Side. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and right up to the present day or more recently, Bruce Springsteen in glory days, John Fogarty and in center field, um, Dan Frischberg, if I remember this correctly, mm-hmm. had a song in the 1970s or late 1960s called Van Lingo Mongo. Van Lingo Mongo was a pitcher for the old Brooklyn Dodgers, who obviously had an interesting name. This song was simply the names of baseball players, most of them not bold-faced Hall of Famers, just the names of baseball players that would have enchanted a kid many generations ago, all strung together. I don't know if other sports, as much as we may like them, um, engender that kind of musing and that kind of whimsy. I've said this before, and people can say, you know, maybe I'm out of touch, and okay, if I am, proudly so. Baseball, at its best, engenders feelings of fondness. Excitement, of course, but also fondness. I don't know that people feel fondly about football. They may feel passionately about it. They may be deeply interested. But fondness is a gentler emotion. And it's not entirely how we feel about baseball, but it's part of how many of us feel about baseball. I think that the pace of the game lends itself to nostalgia. You can have conversations with people. You can sit and know everything that's going on in a game, but still sit with dad and talk and talk that's about right. things that are important. That's right. Plus, the continuity in the game, which is not to say that it hasn't changed. It's certainly changed over the decades and the generations. But it is more possible to imagine uh, Walter Johnson hooking up in a pitching matchup, matchup with Randy Johnson than it is to even think about the Chicago Bears monsters of the midway trying to stop the modern-day New England Patriots or Kansas City Chiefs. No one talks about that. No one says, I wonder if George Mikan could guard Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> but, people, but people do compare Mickey Mantle to Mike Trout. Fan, that's, that's one of the things that's beautiful about baseball is that you argue eras. And my dad says that the, the Dodgers teams of the, uh, of the 60s are the greatest teams ever. And I love the, the Dodgers of the 80s and the 90s. But mm-hmm. we w- were able to argue era. And I think that translates also to music, where people argue music just the same. Do you have a favorite era of baseball? And do you have a favorite era of music? I, I think they almost coincide. Uh, I think whatever grabs you when you're young, just has a a greater hold on you. So while you can recognize uh, the quality of what you encounter as an adult, it may not have the same emotional resonance for you. So my best eras of music are the 60s and parts of the 70s. I wasn't a big disco guy. Uh, Baseball-wise, I love the baseball that I first remember in the very late 1950s through the 60s and into the 70s. But in baseball, my interest continued pretty much at the same level. The baseball of the 1980s, I thought was wonderful. That was a great era uh, in baseball. The 90s were blighted by steroids. There was much to recommend it, but it was also compromised. And to your earlier point, John, we talk about generational comparisons. Mm -hmm. That's why the steroid era was more damaging in baseball than in other sports. Nobody in football, as much as they like it, they don't really care whether Walter Payton has more or less yards gained than Emmitt Smith. They don't know what Jim Brown's rushing total was 
before Walter Payton went past it. They don't know how many yards Dan Marino threw for and now how many Drew Brees has mm-hmm. thrown for. But in baseball, you have all these statistical benchmarks. And of course, they're a product of the era in which they took place. But nothing ever distorted things. Nothing was ever less authentic than some of the bloated, almost video game numbers that we saw during the steroid era. So not only did that distort contemporary competition, but it poisoned the record books and and mangled some of those sweet arguments that can never be resolved, mm-hmm. but those arguments comparing performances over the eras because the numbers from the 1990s and early 2000s in many cases are invalid. And the two most glamorous records in all of baseball, the single season home run record and the career home run record are both held by Barry Bonds, who on his natural merit is one of the greatest players who ever played on the tiny list of the very greatest players who ever played. But what he did in the latter stages of his career is so obviously inauthentic that you must conclude that so too are those two records. You talked about that in your book, A Fan's Case for Baseball, which is one of my favorite baseball books. Um, oh, thanks. It was, uh, I know you wrote, wrote it a little while ago, but I read it and I thought, why isn't Bob Costas commissioner of baseball? Because that's... And I never thought that. It's nice of you to say, John, and a lot of people <laughs> said it. Not so much anymore, but back then, turn of the century, a lot of people were saying it. It was very flattering, and I never bought into it at all, and I never mm-hmm. fed the conversation in any way, never encouraged it. Whenever anybody brought it up, I always said, hey, I hope that I say some worthwhile things about baseball and that people appreciate my point of view and maybe it's added something to the conversation. But the analogy I used was, if you have a columnist who you think is insightful, that doesn't mean that you think he or she should be president, senator, or Supreme Court justice. <laughs> it just means that you value their perspective. And I'm really not qualified, wasn't then, am not now, certainly, mm-hmm. by background in terms of economics and business and by temperament what it would take to do all the backroom politicking and arm twisting i'm just not the right guy for that job well it's one of my favorite baseball books and i think you bring up some wonderful points arguing for the fan so uh, thank you for that um i looked at at a few moments in in history where sports or rather baseball and music kind of intersected and one that stands out to me and i'd love to get your opinion on it is August 15th, 1965, when the Beatles played at Shea Stadium. Now, that's yep. that's a monumental time for music and for pop mm-hmm. culture. Was that also a huge thing for baseball? Well, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. M. Donald Grant, who ran the Mets, was not happy with this. He was not happy that uh, the setup tore up the infield. He thought it was a sacrilege. And in fairness, although it was a big event and people were crazy wild over seeing the Beatles, the concert was lousy. It couldn't be heard. It lasted barely an hour, maybe less than an hour. Then the four lads from Liverpool went sprinting off the field. The Beatles, for all of their greatness, and when you look back in that concentrated period, just six, seven years, the catalog of truly great songs in that concentrated period of time, is flat out amazing. Mm-hmm. But what they never were, they were never a great concert band. But maybe they could have been if that had been their concentration or if they stayed together longer. 
but they were never a great concert band. So to say you saw the Beatles in concert is something you want on the bucket list, like saying you saw the Grand Canyon or the Eiffel Tower or something. But it really doesn't rank with seeing other first-rate shows. They rank at the top in terms of their catalog, at or near the top. But as a concert band, not so much. I completely agree with you. And one of the concert experiences that is toward the top of, of a lot of people's lists and toward the bottom for other reasons is Woodstock. And at Woodstock in uh, on April 6th, on August 16th of 1969, people in the audience kept pestering the artists that were on stage wanting updates for the Miracle Mets. Yep. So yep. there, even at Woodstock, baseball is pervasive. Yeah, and baseball was still then the national pastime. It still had a different kind of standing. It will always have an important place. But it then had, even as football was gaining, it then had a still clear spot at the top of the pyramid. And, of course, Woodstock is not that far uh, from New York City. A lot of Met fans would have been there. I remember having conversations in college. I got to college uh, a year later. And a lot of people then were talking about Charles Reich's book, uh, The Greening of America, and how hippie culture would improve the nation and, and take over and become kind of the dominant sensibility. And one of the things I said, only partly tongue-in-cheek, was if we're going to live the way we want to live and we're going to listen to the music we want to listen to and have the point of view on the world we want to have, somebody's going to have to keep the trains running. Somebody's going to have to keep the grocery stores open. We can't all live on communes. And here's the clincher, my friends. We need a structure if there's going to be baseball. All right? If you're all a bunch of hippies, if you're all running around in the mud in Woodstock, how the hell are you going to follow the match? What's going to happen to Tom Seaver? Think this through, my friend. <laughs> oh, yeah, the transistor radio still has to get new batteries, so you got to get got to get them in there. Correct. Uh, well, while you're listening to steamed heat on FM, <laughs> you might want to switch over to AM to catch Cleon Jones's at bat. Somebody has got to make sure that both those tracks are are operating simultaneously. That's a, that's, that's perfect. It, it was, I'm sorry, it was canned heat, not steamed heat. Now that I think of it, right? Yes, it canned, canned heat, absolutely. On the road again. Well, I, had, I mean, I hadn't referenced them in 30 years, so <laughs> you cut me some slack. I caught the mistake in five seconds. Canned no, that's that, you. You got some leniency here, so that's good. There you go. Now, there you go. And thinking about about also how the ballpark experience, as far as as music and the game, uh, has changed from fans being the ones to sing team songs and play drums to organists mm-hmm. to today it's it's a, almost a rock concert every time you go or a club rather yeah popular music and it's it's energy high energy that works very well for the nba it's not just that i'm okay with it for the nba i like it mm-hmm. for the nba in baseball i think it can be intrusive now granted games for a variety of reasons have gone from a pleasing leisurely pace to too often a lethargic pace that tests the patience of even an avid baseball fan. So maybe some of these distractions, some of these bells and whistles are necessary to keep people kind of on on their toes uh, and keep them occupied. But under ideal circumstances, I don't think you want your 
senses assaulted on an ongoing basis at a baseball game. You go to a baseball game, even if you like all these sports equally, you go to a baseball game for different reasons than you go to a football game, a basketball game, or a hockey game. Going back to what we, what we were talking about before, there's a pace to baseball. There is conversation to be had. There's that there are there are things that you can understand and you can enjoy without being bombarded with the commercial messaging and and everything else right. that is involved in the game now. Right, and you know you watch a game. Look, you can't hold back as Paul Simon said in a different context. You can't hold back the history train, uh, or words to that effect. So look, it's we can't change the world around us and, and have it always comport with whatever we think is the prime slice of our own lives. But you look around a baseball park and half the people are on their phones rather than watching the game. Uh, is, is that really what the experience should be about? Mm-hmm. You, I, I think part of the reason you go to the ballpark, part of the reason why it's really pleasing to go to a minor league game is just to get away from it. It isn't even that you're hanging on every pitch so much as you're just soaking in the atmosphere of it. You know, get away from that world outside. Immerse yourself in baseball for a few hours. When was the last time that you went to a game 100% as a fan? Uh, I went to a Yankee-Cleveland Indians game last August. The day after, I had called the previous night's game between those same two teams on the MLB network, a friend of mine who grew up in Cleveland now lives in New York. Um, so I took him to see his beloved team play the Yankees. So, so do you still get the joy out of being in the ballpark and enjoying the game as a fan as well? Absolutely. I do. Especially if I'm with people who ordinarily wouldn't have exactly the same experience. Um, if I'm able to get tickets to a World Series game or an NBA Finals game for somebody who wouldn't take that for granted or hasn't had that experience many times, especially if it's a younger person, I love that. And with my own kids, who now are in their 30s, but one of the great blessings of my life is that my kids, when they were younger, and still today, but especially when they were younger, were able to share in what I did for a living. Uh, I reference this only because it's it's relevant to the story. In the early 1990s, I had a chance to do a lot of things outside sports, including going to CBS and being part of 60 Minutes, which was very tempting uh, and very prestigious. And a huge part of why I didn't was that at NBC at that time, they had the NFL, they had baseball, they had the NBA during the Michael Jordan era, Mm -hmm. they had the Olympics. I could give that experience to my kids and they would fully understand it and appreciate it. If I had said to them, well, I'm leaving. I'll be back in a couple of days. I'm going to interview Henry Kissinger. Would that have (laughs) meant that much to a nine or 10 year old kid? And that really, John, that really played into my decision. That's incredible to be able to share that, those moments with your kids. I think that's what, what we really enjoy. I, I got more joy out of sharing Disneyland with my little ones than, Mm -hmm. than me going with my wife and just going to have fun or going to a Dodger game. It's going to the Dodger game with my kids wasn't just going to the game. It was sharing what I did with my parents and my grandparents. Absolutely. Now that's, by the way, 
that's part of the appeal, the appeal of all sports. But I, for whatever reason, my sense is that it's, it's more deeply ingrained in baseball because of the generational aspects of it. And when you go to an old ballpark that has history, Harry's history within it, Fenway or Wrigley, somebody who grew up in Boston is taking a 10-year-old kid to the game and saying, hey, I remember the first time I walked into this ballpark and I watched Carl Yastrzemski, but your grandpa saw Ted Williams and sat in this very seat. That's just, it's not the most important thing in the world, but it's a sweet thing. It's memories, it's family, it's, it's everything that you want out of life. It's great. That's what the beautiful thing about sports. Yep, yep. You know, you go to uh, a basketball game and you're going to hear, you know, we're the champions. You're going to hear Queen. You're going to, Tommy James and the Shondells live on because Moni Moni is a staple in, in arenas. Uh, you're going to hear one shining moment at the end of the NCAA tournament. Not this year, but, but most years on CBS. And with football, think about it. College football, you still have marching bands at halftime. Mm-hmm. Almost every school has a recognizable fight song. And NFL Films, which was significantly responsible for the growth and popularity of the NFL going back to the 1960s, the music they choose enhances their presentations considerably. You know, you think of back in the early days when John Facenda, with that voice of God, was narrating all the NFL Films presentations, which were so skillfully put together by Steve Sable and his dad. Ed Sable, and you think of the music, that sort of goosebump-raising music that made you sit up at the edge of your seat uh, as, as you watch Y.A. Tittle hurl one downfield to Homer Jones. That was a big part of what, of what made people NFL fans. Yeah, the, is it the, the autumn wind? That's the, uh, the Oakland Raiders oh, theme? Right, right. <laughs> the autumn wind is a pirate. Yes. Yeah, the, the the music plays a part. It adds to the drama of of all of those films, and those films are are absolutely legendary. The music is legendary. Oh my gosh, when you when you think about it, and in the dramatic moment, you know, Pasenda saw needing four precious yards against an unyielding doubt, unyielding cowboy defense, sent Chuck Machine off left tackle behind the block of Fuzzy Thurston, and then you hear. I mean, you know, I'm a kid. I weigh 130 pounds. I want to put on a helmet and hit somebody. <laughs> John Facenda causing kids to go rip people's heads off. Well, kind of, kind of. And now how about this? How about this? Random thoughts department. John Tesh is not going to wind up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But John Tesh wrote round ball rock and you cannot disassociate that from the nba on nbc and i have people telling me to this day especially now that uh they're reprising some of that stuff uh during this last dance documentary about michael jordan and the bulls yes and and at at the end of one of our dramatic openings then john tesh's music would come on and that would signal everybody pull up a chair as vin scully would say about baseball pull up a chair because it's the Trailblazers against the Bulls, or it's the Lakers against the Suns, or whatever it might be, and it's time for the NBA on NBC. 
You know, it's funny that you mentioned John Tesh because he's he's written so much music and and he wrote a couple of albums that are just sports music and sports anthems mm-hmm. and they're fantastic. Yeah, that's that's his real uh, his real power zone, I guess. And I say yeah. that with with admiration. Yes, without a doubt. There are a lot of sports anthems. Are there any that you absolutely hate hearing over and over again in a stadium? Uh, I, I, I should have thought about this one. I'm going off the top of my head here, and my head on this one is empty. Give me one of yours. Maybe that, it'll uh, spark a thought. Well, who let the dogs out is at the oh top my of God. my list. Oh, my God. The Baja Men. Yeah, I, I could go my whole life without they hearing they that track again. Our doorstep again. Yes. What about tracks that you really enjoy that you want to hear at a ballpark? Well, Gary Glitter lives on, right? Yes. One track. Right. Rock and roll part <laughs> yes, two, right? That's right. But it, but it is, it, it does kind of generate the sort of energy when your team is on a run and there's two minutes to go in the game and they close to within four points. Kind of what you want to hear, right? It's, ti- it's a timeless track. It really is. Mr. Costas, I really appreciate your time. This has been a joy for me, and I I hope that we can do it again sometime. John, I enjoyed it very much. Stay safe and healthy, and thank you for thinking of me. Thanks for listening to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast. You can listen to the music mentioned in this podcast by clicking the Spotify link in the description or by searching The SCORE on Spotify. Please take a moment to leave a review and share the podcast with your friends and family. For more exclusive interviews and playlists, subscribe to the SCORE Music and Sports Podcast now.